All right, day 180. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window uh, than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're in Isaiah uh, chapter 29. And remember, in Isaiah, uh, in this section of Isaiah, God is giving these woe oracles, these oracles of judgment. And in uh, 29 in particular, he gives one to Jerusalem, right, through the prophet Isaiah. But in this same chapter, he weaves in and out oracles of judgment with against their enemies as well. So it's not just oracles of judgments against uh, Jerusalem, but against their enemies. And he's going to affirm God's faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness to his people. So in 28, he he gave a woe oracle for Samaria. That was the capital city of the uh, northern kingdom and here in 29 he's going to give this war oracle for the capital city jerusalem of the southern kingdom and in these first few verses god is going to use this first person singular pronoun so israel would make no mistake right the person that has and that will cause the siege of jerusalem is yahweh god himself right god is clear about that but from there, he moves in, in the next few verses, five to eight, to speak to the reality that he will also come against the folks that came against his people. Right. Remember, God is this judge. He is this good, good father, as the song says. But he's also this holy judge and he's also impartial. He's impartial. The same thing he he calls out amongst other people. He calls out amongst his people and vice Versa. It says this, you will be punished by the Lord of armies, talking about the nations, with thunder, earthquake and loud noise, storm, tempest and a flame of consuming fire. He uses these natural events that God speaks of here and they always accompany, listen, a uh, appearance of the Lord. Right. So these natural occurrences in the Old Testament in particular accompany an appearance of the Lord. So Genesis three, we have the voice of the Lord. He talks about that here. Exodus three, we have this fire, this flaming fire. He talks about that here. Exodus 19, we have the sound of thunder. And so he's saying, no, no, the Lord is actually going to show up and bring forth justice on the earth. And so for those of us who um, are advocates right for justice advocates for righteousness in the world uh god is uh we are we are uh in a sense imitating the holiness uh in the just uh nature and character of god so god shows up in this text and he fights for his people right and the the text uses this miraculous language that god intervenes right in the midst of his people's situations and his sovereign power is seen in their judgment yes against them but also in their deliverance right and he goes on and on and on and i love what the back half of this uh chapter brings up it says uh these people approach me so now he's talking about back again about israel he's saying these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service <laughs> they just all talk yet their hearts are far from me and human rules direct their worship of me and here he's going to come back to jerusalem and he's going to indict them and says fam y'all are all talk right like Y'all talk about me on social media. I mean, your bio, right? Y'all do all of this talking about being with me and you check all the right religious boxes, but your hearts are actually far from me. Listen, I wish I had time to talk about that God cares about the posture of our hearts. The posture and the position of our words ought to be uh, congruent with the posture of our hearts. God is saying, don't be a people that seem to be following me. Don't be a people that seem to be just. Don't be a people that seem to be godly, but actually be people that are actually godly, 
right and for us man this is this is so easy to fall into this temptation to just put a facade up right we can we can um we're, we're so good at tricking people right even if it's ourselves and um man it's just so easy to uh have all the like like have all the right answers say all the right things go all the right places go through all the kind of christian uh, motions but what the lord is saying is like no 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 like i really care about who you are when nobody's looking i really care about the posture of your heart and your motives for me right and so he goes in verse 14 and this is so hard what he does He's like, yo, therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. Their wisdom of the wise will vanish and the perception of their perceptive will be be hidden. What is he saying? Um, He says, I'm going to do something new when I come, when I bring when I when I come and bring my judgment and salvation. I'm going to do something new. And this is going to happen in the last days. And this will be elusive to human wisdom, knowledge and intelligence. Right. So God is weaving in all these oracles of judgment and these oracles of salvation. And he's saying what I'm going to do in the future, it will be elusive to human. In other words, he's saying it it will be so counterintuitive and paradoxical that it's it's as if, yeah, no one could have drawn it up. Right. That's what God is saying here. And it's interesting that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to pick up this text in 1 Corinthians 1. And he'll talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. Right. And how it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Right. And it's, it's in other words, God's wonders and works and wisdom are so infinitely deep that the cross of Jesus is what shames the wise men of this world who think they can outwit God's judgment. Right. And so failure to comprehend and cling to what God will do in Christ will result in judgment we see it at the cross as well but i love how he continues and he goes on to say on that day the deaf will hear the words of a document and out of a deep darkness the eyes of the blind will see the humble will have joy after joy in the lord and the poor people will rejoice in the holy one of israel what god will do is rebuke israel for being blind and deaf and unable to spiritually discern the working of god in history but the messiah will come, be crucified, will open blind eyes and deaf ears. And he is the one who will break some of the hardness of his people's hearts. And this comes through and by faith. Jesus is the remedy to our deep spiritual disease. Isaiah 30 comes and says, God's children here in this text are not submissive enough to give way to his plans, but are stubborn enough to make their own plans, right? This is what Isaiah 30 is about. It's about Israel going to Egypt when military invasion comes. We keep hearing the same song. They keep, uh, they were stuck in the same sin. Once again, this is another woe condemning the people of Israel for making a political alliance, right? That was supposed to be for them a means of salvation all at the same time while rejecting the message of God's prophets (laughs) for something that was more palatable for something that would seem to work instead and we do the same thing we reject the words that can instruct us and lead us into wisdom and salvation for things that seem as if they'll work better right and verse three says this only leads to their shame and humiliation he says they do they say to the seers the the prophets do not see and to the prophets do not prophesy the truth to us tell us flattering things prophesy illusions one of the ways listen one of the ways that god's people are evidence of being under judgment here in this text is the refusal to accept the truth 
<laughs> the refusal to accept the truth which God has revealed to them. This is why Paul, fam, in 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 uh, Second Timothy, he says in the last days, no, no, folks will only hear what they want to hear, right? They will only have ears that are tickled by false teachers, and all throughout the prophets. One of the things it will continually uh, get at is the popularity of the false prophets, right? The irony is, is that the false prophets and false prophecy, like, that it rarely has little influence, right? It rarely does. False teaching rarely isn't sexy, right? Like, it, it's usually well-known. It's, it's usually among the gifted. It's usually among the convincing and persuasive. And this is what makes it so dangerous. So... So, so, so what God is saying is he's like, no, 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 listen to my word. And so much depends on where we put our allegiance and trust as the people of God. Like God always says, uh, he, he, he desires for us to put our trust in him once again to do for us what only he could do. Right. And he, he, he weaves in in this text as well, oracles of mercy and restoration. And he, he says that. At the end, but as we come to Isaiah 31, the prophet will continue to reiterate much of what he said in the previous chapter about the futility of relying on this Egyptian alliance. And one of the reasons that Judah was allured into making this alliance was the was because of the vast number of Egypt's army, right? Their military prowess and the amount of horses and chariots, right? And what we learn is is that to the naked eye, it looked absolutely advantageous to make this agreement with them and to get down with them even though god told them not to and i wish i had time to talk about fam there are so many things that to the naked eye look more advantageous to pursue rather than the way god told us to pursue right there are just certain things and god is clear look what god says he says egyptians are men not god their horses are flesh, not spirit. When the Lord raises his hand to strike, the helper will stumble and the one who is helped will fall. Both will perish together. In other words, there's some things that we come against in this life that humanity doesn't have the power, resources or ability to help us with or save us from. We ought to be more discerning than making life or death decisions merely based on optics and what we see rather than what we hear and what God says. Isaiah 32 comes, last chapter of this bunch. What comes here, um, he, he, he presents a picture of uh, this just and righteous kingdom. So we're in this section of the war oracles, but what Isaiah does here is he interrupts that, uh, that conversation and inserts this chapter about this just and peaceful kingdom that will come in the future, right? And the thing that the basic bottom line of this chapter is that this king will create a new society. This king will bring about a new creation. It says, indeed, a king will reign righteously and rulers will rule justly. Each will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the rain, like flowing streams in a dry land and the shade of a massive rock in an arid land. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. Remember the role. Remember the role of the kings and the nation of Israel at the time that Isaiah is prophesying. Right. Israel is a monarchy. Right. Meaning the people of God are in one particular place all under uh, the king that God had placed them over or placed over them. And the only problem was if we remember first and second kings was that they were all bad and <laughs> they were all corrupt. Right. All of them worshiped idols, married foreign wives, spearheaded injustice. They were just terrible. Right. They was just bad. Um, there's no other way to put it. 
So what God is doing, though, God is offering a breath of fresh air. He is offering a prophecy that is fulfilled in this righteous king who will come and deal justly. Right. This king will be God's ideal man on the throne. And look at verse three. Although Israel and Judah are unresponsive in this day, um, th- th- this day when the king comes, they will hear. <laughs> they will be spiritually responsive. They will turn to God's king. They will respond in faith. And he goes on to contrast what was going on in his day with what the new society, right, will be like. He he will go on to talk about the ills of their society and the ways in which folks were complacent. Folks had um, folks that had enough. Let the unfortunate be disturbed, right, by the growls of their own stomach and on and on and on. But the turning point comes in verse 15. All right. Look at verse 15. So good. The king is going to come and look what he does until the spirit from on high is poured out on us. Then the desert will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest. In other words, until God sends his spirit to transform his people, there won't be the lasting change that Israel is ultimately needed, ultimately needed and was looking for. Listen, a word for me and you is this. The lasting change that you and I are looking for only comes by way of God's change agent. And that is the Holy Spirit. Spirit. This is why the book of Acts is so important in the Bible, because it's portraying for us not just a new society within the old society, but this spirit filled society within this old society. And that's the church. Right. That's God's people. God uses that community that we see created in Acts to bring about the salvation of every soul that is saved right now. Right. And notice, listen, notice the fruitful language he uses here in the language of peace. Peace is what he's saying is going to come from God's spirit. Fruit will come from God's spirit. And this peace ultimately isn't the absence of problems, but it's the presence of the problem solver, God himself, in the midst of our problems. We need to pray today that the Lord will help us lean and rely on the spirit he's given us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we will use what we have, God. We pray that we will remember that the king has come, that he has sent and poured out his spirit among his people. I pray that uh, all of uh, your people, Lord, would lean on your spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.